Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder Nuggets game that we played on Tuesday. Josh Hall and our second round pick, Vic Krejci. So, going into our game against the Nuggets yesterday, we had a lot of time to prepare for this one. We had over 72 hours due to us having our game on Sunday postponed versus Sixers. Just gave us a lot of time to think of how we should be defending the the Nuggets and such. And our plans just did not seem to work. We end up losing this game by 18 points, 119 to 101. And this loss moved the Thunder back to the 10th spot in the West while the Denver Nuggets got pushed up to 7 and 7 and they took our old spot of 9th in the west. So us since we are 6 and 7, we're going to be looking to go break even once again. This is like our third or fourth time in the year we've had a shot to get to the 500 level. I know this is our third game where we have given up being 500 or greater though. So, yeah. And for Denver, I mean, they got the win off of, like, a plethora of areas. They play seven people in double figures in this one. But really, their offense is kind of centralized in one man, and that man is Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic was matched up on Isaiah Roby because Al Horford sat out again. Uh, I believe he's in OKC right now, but he is out due to his fourth child being born over the weekend so he gets a pass on not being there and I think everybody is is real happy with him and letting him take his time so he wasn't there so Roby once again had to fill his place and Roby he's six foot eight 230 pounds Nikola Jokic six foot 11 284 pounds this is a guy who can get down low against Roby it is how it is and even like when he's not you know, around the basket. I think early on in this game specifically, Nikola Jokic was like mounting himself around the free throw line almost, just holding the ball, waiting for backdoor cuts to pass too. And, you know, we had guys like Dort who did a solid job defending those, but those broke down and those led to some easy baskets. And once pressure got applied to some of these other players, that's when Jokic started attacking the basket. He had 12 points in that first quarter alone. And whenever, you know, people just said number one priority stopping Jokic, that's when he'd kick you out for more assists. So he had a really complete game in this one. He had 27 points on 12 of 21 shooting with 12 boards and six assists in just 28 minutes of play. And, you know, a good thing is Jamal Murray actually got held to only five points in this one. That's due to Lou Dort. I'll go into him in a second, but you know, there are some bench scorers in Murray's place who were able to make a very large impact in the game. And I'm specifically talking about Monte Morris and P.J. Dozier. Those two guards off the bench combined for 26 points. And on the defensive end, particularly P.J. Dozier, and I said this in my game preview, this is like a really hands-on defender and one of the issues we were doing is we were throwing way too many cross-court passes. Like, there was a stretch in this game where there was a cro- cross-court pass, like, 
once every two possessions for I'd say five minutes. And the passes had way too much air time on them. And that's just an easy steal for these defenders. And Dozier got on the action a ton since a lot of these passes were coming from the second unit. But anyways, he played very, very solid against his ex-team in the Thunder. And then Monte Morris did as well. In the beginning stages, Will Barton gave them the extra boost that they kind of needed for this one. I said that with MPJ out. They needed someone to help at the small forward spot. And Barton's always just been a reliable guy against the Thunder. He chipped in 13 points of his own in this one, as well as Paul Millsap. And you're even looking at people like Gary Harris, who dropped a quiet 11 in this one so buckets were coming from all over the place we're talking inside outside doing it however they wanted to and we just could not really keep up with them but the main reason that they were able to get this w just came off of the rebounding we gave up 18 offensive rebounds to the Nuggets in this one, and they had a total of 32 second chance points to the Thunder's three. And what do those 32 second chance points lead to? Wide open shots down low. They had 62 points in the paint in this game, and that's really what it came down to: was just getting the second efforts. If they had an open look, they would take it, or they'd reload. There was a there are probably plays where there's like three or four shots going up for the Nuggets with no one being able to stop the boards and. Originally in this one, rebounding was not an issue. Like we were crashing the glass very well. But once we kind of had our first group of guys like Baisley and Roby check out of the game, it never was the same for us. And we just could not get the boards around these Nuggets guys. So they're able to get up shots inside and get those boards for them. And these were good looks they were formulating due to these boards. They hit 10 of their last 11 shots at some point so they shot the ball 11 times straight they only missed once that kind of percentage is really just unheard of so stuff like that gave them what they needed to take the w and for okc look you can try to make a little cop out here and say oh al horford wasn't playing and i do think that it definitely does matter because when you're talking nikola Jokic, the best center in the nba you know, just throwing a 22-year-old with little NBA experience into a guy against a guy like him, it, it may be a tough go. And Roby actually did a lot better than the way I probably conveyed it thus far. You know, you're probably just thinking that, oh, Jokic had 27 points in 28 minutes. Roby could not defend him. That's not the case at all. Uh, Roby actually had a really good performance against Jokic it's just whenever Jokic is trying to do everything for the team he's gonna have some slip-ups here and there where he's able to make some shots but Roby got four steals in this one and even though there wasn't any blocks attached to his name he was getting right into the face of Jokic so he had to earn every single bucket that he was getting in the game and he still got 10 points and, and nine rebounds in that one so good on him for that so that was really the replacement for Horford. The size was not there. And then you're looking at people like Muscala off the bench who couldn't really stop his matchup either. I think his guy was Jermichael Green. He had double digits for the Nuggets. So just a lot of, a lot of big play. And it, it kind of started with there. 
and and that just kind of it trickled down to other positions not being able to do a lot Lou Dort though he was a big bright spot in this game and he led the team in scoring again with 20 points on 8 of 11 field goal shooting and suffocated Jamal Murray to those five points and I didn't really tell you what Jamal Murray was shooting he shot just two of ten with Dort on him last night so Jamal Murray couldn't get anything Dort was the main antagonist really when it came to the Nuggets backdoor cuts like Dort was not letting anything go through him and whenever Murray kind of like got the ball force fed to him he just couldn't find any sort of rhythm so Murray was not a factor and it it all goes to Dort and Dort has not had a game this year where he hasn't hit a three he shot three of six from downtown and led our team with threes hit he's really broken out of his shell and you know I think teams are kind of sleeping on him maybe just due to the way he shoots the ball like it seems like he shoots about the same as he did last year just going in way more takes a long time for him to kind of line his shot up and maybe the the resume or name attached to him for the opposing coaches is he can't shoot that well and then once he hits three in their face that's when they talk they, that's when they take him seriously. And that's kind of what happened in this Nuggets game because Lou Dort was hitting three after three and was our primary option pretty much this whole way. And once we got up, the Nuggets got up on him from three, that's when he just started attacking them brutally inside. So he even got a trip to the line for those efforts there. So Dort, really perfect. He's not, you know, this average starter anymore. I think we've always known that Dort was something special here, but the league, uh, the league's gonna catch one of Dort in a couple weeks. You can you can really bet on that one. So Dort balled out with the team high in twenty, and you know we only had three other guys who placed in double figures. We had SGA, he had fourteen. Baisley had twelve, and then as I mentioned, Roby had ten. SGA could not really orchestrate the offense. Everyone was clogging that paint. And he tried shooting it from three. He was one for four. So just a bit of a slump there. He was able to get seven assists, though, when a shot wasn't there. When he actually had a chance to kick out because he was actually swarmed a lot. He, had, he gave up four turnovers. So, yeah, I, he was just kind of put in a very awkward situation in last night's game. And clearly the 14 points is something you don't typically see from SGA but you should be confident that he'll be able to get his act back together in his next game. And then Baisley. Look, Baisley was a player entering this one who was getting so much slander thrown at his name. And he was in a slump, like, I'll admit it. I think on the Thunder broadcast, they mentioned that he was shooting something like 4 of 20 in his past 5 games from deep. And, and he just couldn't convert near anywhere even when you're looking at twos and it seems like he was a bit hesitant to shoot the ball in the first quarter but he got his stuff back together I think he shot like six times in the first quarter alone and sure the first couple shots weren't hitting but he built his confidence back up and he ended up shooting two three balls in that first quarter hit one of them and then he also drove in twice hitting two of those shots and then he had like a mid-range attempt so He's kind of just getting adapted to everything here. This is more of his game, like 
trying to get back on pace. I think he should be good to go. He even had two blocks in this game. So he did bring that intensity. And that's really, I think Baisley really is one of the reasons we had a lead at some point in this one. Because we did have an eight-point lead in the first. And that's when they got checked out. Stars got checked out and kind of went to some garbage for us. So good game on Baisley's part. Already mentioned Roby, but just looking down the line of names here, we got people like Justin Jackson who gets their shot in this one. Justin Jackson scored nine points in seven minutes, and Jackson really wasn't even expected to play this one. Really, the conditions of this were we were blown out. We were blown out to the point where they were up near 30. They were up 29 points at their max. And Mark Dagnall, he just wanted to see a bit of everyone in this game. And Justin Jackson was one of the last people to get called down onto the floor. And we just haven't seen a lot from him. He's like a three-point specialist who has not been hitting the three yet. He proved and he showed why he was brought into the 15-man roster in last night's game absolutely perfect from the field on three of three shooting 202 from downtown obviously his best game in a thunder uniform so did he earn minutes in this one that's something up for debate with the coaches here because he was playing late into the fourth quarter but you can't invalidate those minutes and what he did for us there because Without Justin Jackson on the floor, we probably would have lost this game by 25 plus. So good on him. He, he was a bright spot. And then you have other players uh, that you can talk about. I mean, all 14 of the active players in this game ended up playing. Poku, he shot 0 of 7, but, you know, his presence was felt on boards. I think there was times where he was a bit stagnant, like some of these other people, not wanting to crash the glass. But when he did, he was very effective for us with those four rebounds. He chipped in for us. That was the second best number off of the bench. And then you have people like Diallo, who was a bit cold. He shot one of six in our our Bulls game and two of eight in this one. However, he was shooting the three again, one of two from downtown, and he was three of five from the line. So even though the field goals weren't dropping, he found other ways to score gets eight points and six rebounds got two offensive rebounds in this game and I actually just want to mention real quick going back to Roby he had six offensive rebounds in this game Diallo was the second best with those two rebounds and outside Diallo there's only one other offensive rebound that came that was from Baisley so Roby really put the team on his back going after boards, and his lack of presence did indeed hurt us. So, yeah. And just going on to other bench players, uh, you got Maladone. He had seven points, three assists, and a steal on three of seven shooting. Always has the open threes. He was one of four this time, but another one of these Poku situations where there's going to be a game where it starts falling, and we are going to absolutely be adoring him in that game but the main dude that I want to talk about in this one is surprisingly Josh Hall now Josh Hall was our undrafted free agent we picked up on a two-way deal uh at the end of last year's draft I actually read an article 
that Josh Hall received a phone call around pick number 55 in the draft that he was going to get offered by Sam Presti. I, I just assume that stuff like that went down after all 60 picks, but I guess Presti really was in love with Hall and wanted to make that lasting impression, so he didn't waste his time. He called up Hall, you know, set his intentions clear with what, you know, he thought he could do for the program. Hall was on board, and he's here with us. And he's been a dude at a small forward where we have guys like Arizo who's not playing and Darius Miller who doesn't play for us typically. I think he only played, yeah, he only played seven tonight, and that's about the only time he, he's played for us. There's a hole at small forward. Uh, you're really just looking at Dort moving up to small forward and Kenrich Williams. We don't have that true small forward right now. And Josh Hall is a true small forward. He's six foot eight, 190 pounds, point forward ability. I talked about him in my draft podcast, as well as a couple podcasts ago. But he has so much potential, and we never really tapped into that until tonight's game. He has not seen double figures and minutes at all until this one playing those 13 and normally he's just been a corner sitter who will jack up a a three-pointer from the corner every once in a while that was not his job he was taking the ball up he was trying to take the ball coast to coast he was trying to run the offense and drive in and he's a ball handling kind of freak at 6'8", finishing around the basket. He's he's very solid. He has a very sweet touch. He had a beautiful finger roll in transition in this game. But honestly, I didn't really know how good he would be like moving up into the NBA. And going against the Nuggets bench, he seemed to be doing fairly solid. He was 2 of 5 from the field, but when you're just isolating it to the 2s, he was two of three, and he even got a trip to the line whenever trying to drive in. He shot three free throws in this game due to him just trying to bully his way down low into the paint. So he was trying to shoot it from the corner, just a hair off in both of those attempts. The main thing, though, is just his slashing ability that he showed for the team. And he was taking off great distances to try to get shots to go. And he had it midair just like change his entire shot motion for this layup. He's able to get the chain shot off. Beautifully makes it drop in. And then just trying to bounce right into other players as I stated. He had like a little collision inside. I don't I don't remember which center it was for the Nuggets. I believe it was Isaiah Hartenstein. But he gets inside and like gives a little swipe with his elbow to kind of gather and put this layup up. He like barely clips Hartenstein's chin. Like I'm talking barely. I I don't know if this guy was acting or what, but there's an offensive foul called after he finishes off the layup. That was a really crappy call. I think it should have been left alone because seriously, in real time, you would have never seen this thing. Hartenstein like flares his neck back. Looks like he just got I don't even know, like he got knocked out or whatever. They give Hartenstein the benefit of the doubt. He probably should have had at least eight points in this game because he finishes with six. With that layup, you get more. We need to be seeing more of Josh Hall because when we are just all about development, there, there's no reason we shouldn't be giving Hall 
his opportunity. And when the G League bubble starts next month, he's not going to be with the team for the most part. He's going to be in the bubble in Florida. We need to use this time right now to see if he is an NBA level caliber player now. Because if we can see that he is just an absolute beast and he is worth fully upgrading into an NBA roster, we need to be making changes to allow him to move up by the end of the year because we do have all 15 contracts. And there might be subsequent trade deals to get this extra roster spot, and that's fine. But we've had players like Deontay Burton and Lou Dort who just crushed their two-way contract days and ended up getting the nod for a regular season deal mid-season. If Hall is able to bring what he he displayed in the Nuggets game consistently, without a doubt, he's, he's going to end up getting that contract because his finishing was beautiful. The ball handling for his size was beautiful. Shooting, great shot for him, just wasn't hitting. This guy should have never went undrafted in the first place, and we're just reaping the benefits of this man. We want to see more of Josh Hall in the future and hopefully we will as we go on a five game road stand starting on friday against the los angeles clippers we play them and then we give a little break we play them again so start in la play the clippers twice then we move on to some other competition but it'll be exciting to see what dagnall does to the rotation entering our five game road stand Now, moving on to my next story of today's podcast, I want to be talking about Vit Kredci, and if you guys maybe forgot who Vit is, we ended up selecting him in this past draft. We traded up, we gave up Cassius Winston, plus a future second round pick to move up to number 37. Get Crunchy. We got Admiral Schofield in the process. And as you guys know now, he is not currently with our team. He is with the Greensboro Swarm of the D-League right now. So good on him for that. But yeah, we didn't really have a status on Crunchy. But that was until yesterday as Joe Muzato of the Oklahoman broke the news that... Our second round pick, Vic Kredge, was rehabbing in Oklahoma City as he suffered an ACL injury in September and that he would be on the OKC Blue roster. And this is exciting. Actually, I'm a little bit salty that I never like mentioned anything, whether it's on social media or whatnot. But Kredge was actually listed on as an active G League player like weeks ago. Whenever I was researching Melvin Frazier, I had a really, really lengthy article on him on my website, kylesingler4mvp.com, as well as that little brief podcast snippet I gave you guys in this past week. When I was researching for him, I actually stumbled upon like a page of players. It showed Crunchy on the blue, and it was like sorting by age or whatnot. You could see... He was like the second youngest player that's actually in the G League right now at 20. So we picked him up. If I just went out and flat out say and said, ooh, sources tell me that Vic Crunchy 
whatever is going to be with the blue. You know how like unreliable and how much credibility, if I had any, would be thrown out the window? Probably a lot. Even if I was right, like I didn't know that. It was just something cool that I saw on the G League website. But damn, if I could have that one back and try to act like I had inside sources, uh, that'd be cool to see you know, what the result of that would be, but obviously, that'd, that'd just be stupid to me, so, Joe Mazzato, he kind of cracked the case on this one, we saw on Instagram, he was actually at the OKC Memorial building, and that's something that every Thunder player, new Thunder player, goes to, um, really just before they begin their journey as a Thunder player, good gesture by the team to do that, and yeah, just learn more about the state, I guess, before they suit up for our team. And Crudgy followed suit on this, and then we obviously hear about what his status is with us. So if you guys don't remember who he is, I did a little brief draft day article, as well as with Josh Hall and Poku, just breaking down their games. And Crudgy, he's a 20-year-old point guard who kind of possesses like some point-forward traits and with Vit, he's a very interesting player because he's not your typical like six four six five point guard if you want to call that like your tall point guard maladone for example who i also talked about duh he's six foot five that's kind of a little bit over what the standard for a point guard is now i think when you're looking at average height it's like six three we'll get a load of this Vit is six foot eight okay, and he's only 190, but that kind of frame for a point guard is hardly seen in the NBA today. When we're looking at oversized point guards, they're really few and far between at that size. You know, you got people like Ben Simmons, but I'm looking more at like the Thomas Sadaranskis of the world. He's six foot seven for the Bulls. It's kind of like that. Um, Kind of like that when it comes to play style, just straight up passing, has a nice handle for the ball, and also can shoot. And the best part about Kredgy, i definitely give him a nod over Sadoransky with this one, attacking the basket. That is without a doubt his best trait throughout his career. And he's kind of had a windy path in his pro career i believe he traveled like by himself to play professionally when he was 14 kind of just going through the motions had to go from the lower divisions climbed his way up to the premier division in the liga acb that is the spain's that's spain's like best euro league um league i I suppose it is and he was playing for zaragoza so with Zaragoza in the 1920 season, he actually only played 18 games on 7.6 minutes, so not a huge sample size there. And in the 2021 season with Zaragoza, he did start out with them. He only had two games attached to his name before he had that ACL injury that has sidelined him, not just for the near future, but he's out the rest of the year. That's why it said in that tweet he's going to be rehabbing for us, so... Season ends up getting cut short, and that's kind of where we're at with him now. But he just has not had a ton of run in the past couple years professionally. But he does have a lot of qualities that 
really made him go under the radar in this year's draft. I think if Kredge was able to play his whole entire 19-20 season or you know, he decided not to go into the draft this year, maybe he'd stay one more if unless you say he didn't get hurt. I don't think 37th is the target range you're looking for. This was a person I didn't even have on my radar. And whenever I do mock drafts and stuff, I really never look past like the top 45 guys just because getting outside that range, you never really see sleepers of like a magnitude where someone on Chad Ford's big board at like 63 is taking 29th. It just doesn't really happen. And Crudshe was expected to be like the back end of the second round almost. This was your draft and stash player. Just see him develop even more in Spain. But we got to the point where we didn't feel comfortable in the back end of the second round. As you all know, we had that 53rd pick, but it wasn't enough for Presti. He wanted to lock his eyes on Vit, trades up and snags him at 37. And it was a little bit of a shocker because nobody saw him getting picked that early. I think in time and looking at his tape, though, people have kind of gotten more used to him. And I think everybody really should know what we have in Vit. So he is a very strong attacker at the basket. He does not play like a point guard. That's obviously due to his speed here, but just the physicality he uses and willingness to just sacrifice his body when trying to put up layups is spectacular. And he has great body control when he goes up in the air. He can actually dribble on either side He's a he's naturally a right-handed player, but he can he's able to drive in with the left hand and finish with the left hand at a high rate as well as that right one. So in a pick and roll set, you can see him go either way of the screen, and if he has a clear path, he will take it up any way he really feels like. And before this ACL injury, he was actually sort of a high flyer. A lot of bit, a lot of like sneaky athleticism with him. It looked like he could damn near fly sometimes when he was going up for dunks. He's he has some long strides when going to the basket in transition. Get a couple steps in after getting to that three point line. He's going off and he's dunking it down hard. So athletic guy inside. If you're putting him at the one in the league. He's going to be able to crush those smaller guards, without a doubt, in the NBA. But also, just looking at him as a shooter. He shot 33% with Zaragoza in the 19-20 season, but you got to read through the lines. The sample size was not that huge. I think it was only like 5 of 15 from there. But he has a very, very solid jump shot, and he, he gets it off quick. And it gives him the ability to shoot not just off like a catch and shoot from three, but he's able to stop and pop it really quick at gathering the ball. So you can see him coming off a screen, little dribble pull up from downtown, or if he wants to scoot into the mid range, he has a great sense at when to give the pull ups up as well as just creating space off of like a behind the back or a snatch back. He, he did try to create with dribble moves there. It wasn't just going around screens and popping. He does it on his own. So variety of ways he can hit from deep. Just have not seen enough on him for me to say how, how good he is at it. But 
he does have the foundation there that you want to see in a 20-year-old. And just passing the ball. He's on par with point guards right now. Like he was doing no-look passes. He was throwing the ball behind his back to targets. Also when no-looking, by the way. Just his real skill and, and understanding of the passing lanes that we have seen from our prospects we've signed this year. Like Maladon and Poku specifically they're pulling off some like jump passes we have not seen from players before credshi kind of falls in line with that like he will try to bait defenders onto people and when he's driving in sometimes he's not even looking at his man he's looking at the players around that man he's looking at whoever's supposed to be guarding the corner and if the guy guarding the corner starts dropping down no hesitation he's given to the corner like just stuff like that he has high understanding of the passing lanes and it should be something he will be able to develop. He has that frame of a small forward, really, in the game in some aspects of a small forward, specifically finishing. But the handle and passing is that of a guard. And I said in my first kind of recap with this team, or my immediate draft day reaction was I wanted him to be a point forward, move him up to the two or the three. And I still kind of stand by that, just due to that frame here. And the fact that we have SGA at the 1, and off the bench we have Maladone. Still got players like Ty Jerome we have not looked at yet. Obviously, the timelines are a little bit different right now. Like, Crunchy's not part of the equation yet. But I think having him off the bench as like a 3 or a 2 will be just as beneficial as him just playing a bit off the ball but sort of in a basey role where he's able to get it sometimes and iso his man because he can create for himself but then obviously you have the the chance for him to just be the oversized point and try to run things on his own there's two different options with him i think he'd be a lethal backdoor cutter he's pretty explosive without the ball in his hands and just going in two defenders in the rack is not not a problem. So backdoor cutting, I think three-point shooting with him having a quick release. If he's able to become a reliable corner sitter, you get that with him too. And then just times he wants to run the offense. So those are the main three things with him. When I'm looking at his body of work, I'm looking at the offensive side of things and the potential he has to create for others. Very good gamble here at 37. And the fact that he was willing to come over right now is just a home run because one of the things with selecting Vit was we expected him to be stashed over for a couple years he wanted to take the initiative to come over with us now and that speaks to how well our guys around the organization have been with our players and just in general you know the relationships that Sam Presti and this Thunder management have have given to all the players who have come through here are all positive guys have nothing but great things to say about our management and it seems like vit must have had that same kind of thought since he wanted to be with us and just something to think about is the fact that there potentially is a third two-way contract opening up and the way this is worded it kind of it kind of hints that he's sticking with the blue like it says he's going to be with the g league affiliate but you cannot completely rule out the fact that 
if a third two-way contract comes up, he may be our guy. But the thing is, is if he takes that contract, he's not playing for us. He's just going to be rehabbing. Personally, I'm on the Melvin Fraser Jr. train. Like, as I said, I posted multiple things about him just in the past months, really. I've been a big fan of him since his Tulane days. I'd want him because he immediately can give you something. With Crudgy, you just have to sit and wait on him. Obviously, getting him with the main core of guys will be very, very helpful. But just with the rehab process, I think being with the Blue will also be a very core piece to his development. So we'll wait to see if this third two-way contract comes up and if Crudgy gets in on the mix. I think if I were to give you two finalists, it'd be Frazier Jr. or Crudgy. And knowing my luck, that probably means it's neither of them but we'll see kind of what happens in the next coming weeks but just leaving it at this you're probably not going to hear much about Kredgy for at least the duration of this year unless he does get picked up by our main squad but you need to keep your eyes on him because if he bounces back as like a 21 year old rookie next year just assuming he doesn't play and he takes everyone by storm just remember this he has a lot of skills here. Just another guy added to the list of a lot of untapped potential. So, yeah, be very excited for Vic Kredgy. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.